I'm Sina Nader with FTX US. I'm panicked about finding the technology that can regrow my hair. Howard, good What's morning. What's happening? I am amped. By mistake, I took 20 milligrams of Adderall. So if I start walking around during this podcast and doing push-ups, ignore it. Okay, I'll try. And I'm drinking coffee because, that, you know, nothing that, like 20 milligrams of Adderall with a coffee chaser in an FTX cup. Ooh. That's, did I give away what's happening? I think you did. But, you know, that's okay. When I threatened Coinbase that I was just going to have FTX week, they paid me a fortune and said, bury the FTX guys. And I said, hey, hang on. They're investors in stock twits. I'll own your stock, Coinbase, but I can't have you on the pod. So uh, that's, that's uh, my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> so I'm going to get right to it today because I'm in a good mood. Despite right. being completely impoverished uh, by the market. I have nothing left, Knut. We are on food stamps. You are getting paid in promissory notes for this podcast. Okay. I, I put all our money in Zoom. And it's gone. <laughs> Great idea. <laughs> By the way, we have incredible, we have a lifetime of Zoom ahead of us, but we have no money. We've prepaid Zoom for the rest of our lives and we're broke. Well, that's a good start. It's we'll a make, good start. We'll make it up again. Too bad for my kids. They were they were counting on my Robinhood money, uh, social leverage money. I bet it all on Zoom. Hmm. Who would have thunk that uh, video was a competitive market? <laughs> and <laughs> so... You would think I would have learned by now, Canute. Yes. Yeah. So I have a special guest. Wow, just this room. I can hear my hair grow, which is a segue because this guest is panicked about his hair. And the first thing I would tell him was get a room like this, because at least whether your hair grows or not, whatever is growing, you will hear it in a room like this. So you got a lot of stuff to talk about there, too. A lot of stuff to talk about. This poor guy has no idea. But... He's making a lot of money, which should cover the hair loss problems. Uh, my guest today is, we have not met in person, yet I consider him a brother. He is a master at business development, a master at brand. I think his background would never have given this away, so I'm excited to ask him about this stuff. When we talk business generally and goof off on Signal in exchange emails, but uh, my guest today, Sina Nader, is head of growth brand. It, it, the company's so small, you wear a lot of hats. So I'll let him describe exactly what he does, but he's performing magic in a fast-paced crypto world on behalf of FTX, which is a juggernaut brand. I say they came out of nowhere, and I say that because the first person to mention the, the letters to me in that order were Cena. He called me up to ask about uh, a private stock that I owned and would I be interested in, in selling or helping them make a market in it? Uh, we became friends. I had never heard of the company. And then over the next six months, that's all I heard. And, and that led to some incredible conversations about growth and brand and crypto. Uh, it was very early to the crypto revolution. He went to Berkeley, so he's probably calling in from a picketing somewhere. He's, <laughs> <laughs> so it could be noisy, and you're worried about my coffee hitting the ground? Wait till you hear all the signs clanking and everything, because he's probably calling in from some kind of protest. 
but uh, he was Robinhood's first head of crypto. All right. Don't know how they let him go. Uh, where he led and grew a team serving millions of customers, as you know, Canute as an investor, mm-hmm. during a period of hypergrowth. Like I said, the reason I'm so excited about talking to people like Cena is they've seen the beast. They've been inside the belly of a beast where you're just hanging on. People are signing up. You don't have to do anything special. You just have to hold on and, like, stay alive. So he swapped out of that for FTX. So I want to hear that story, how that came about. And prior to Robinhood, he co-founded... Uh, one of the earliest crypto fund of funds. So he knows crypto. Then he started his career going back at Morgan Stanley on the dark side. Later joined credits with darker side. I (laughs) hate that company. And he was smart enough to leave. He received his BA from UC Berkeley where uh, he majored in libtard. Is that even allowed to, can I say libtard? You can, but. Hopefully I I did not offend any You offended me. I offended half the population. (laughs) So I feel that's fair. It's a really bad And he got his MBA from USC, which I don't know what it stands for, but it sounds, it's three letters, sounds very important. Southern. Southern Carolina, probably not. Yeah, Yeah, University of South Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's just an amazing dude, but we have not met. He's done some incredible partnerships for, and we're just going to dig right into it. So let's get Cena on. Cena, Howard, what a thrill this must be for you. You know, I'm honored beyond description. If you could describe it, take as much time as you want, half an hour, an hour. If you could describe <laughs> it. <laughs> Don't edit any of this. <laughs> I mean, where to start? I mean, from, you know, golf pro to business wizard to just amazing, cool dude with hilarious insights and also like brilliant insights. Yeah, I think, you know, I think I've got time for a conversation with you. Let's put it that way. (laughs) So that's Larry David, but what about me? So (laughs) so I I really could spend two hours talking about this because the stories you must be able to tell from your basement or wherever you've been locked for a year, right? You've been pretty conservative. The team is all over the world. How big is FTX today? And just, and what is FTX for people who don't know? Yep. So FTX is a global crypto exchange. Uh, There's FTX International and then there's FTX US, two separate businesses, uh, but they're affiliated with each other. Uh, And uh, globally, we're probably somewhere around 250 to 300 people uh, at the moment. And when you joined, was there an X yet? Was it just FT? Had someone come up with the X? (laughs) How many people was, were there? Yeah, the, the X was there. You know, it was sort of uh, a tongue-in-cheek reference to futures exchange. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I joined, there was I just about, I want to say, 65, 75 people. So it wasn't just four people. So you were on a rocket ship. How many years were you at Robinhood? Uh, just about uh, a year. And where did they recruit you from? Credit Suisse? No. So I was actually doing uh, one of the first fund of funds in the crypto space. And uh, they, came, they kind of came knocking and said, hey, you want to head up our crypto division. And, uh, you know, that was that. A recruiter or someone from Robinhood? Uh, I was a recruiter, I believe. And the fund of funds was inside a bank or your own? No, it was my own. And so what got you into crypto? Do you remember the moment? I do. Um, Well, it's kind of a longer story. I mean, what got me into crypto was Wall Street uh, and sort of, you know, recognizing the things that, you know, I perceive to be somewhat problematic on Wall Street. uh, And then, kind of eventually learning that crypto might represent the antithesis to Wall Street or you know something similar to that uh, it sort of drew me in very hard um, and it was in 2013 
uh, where I've got this cousin who's a little bit out there. Uh, so I sometimes take what he says with a grain of salt. But he he basically said, hey, Sina, you should check out this Bitcoin thing. And uh, I did. And I started talking with computer science friends and you know other people that are much smarter than I am on the tech side. I didn't know you back then, Howard. Otherwise, I would have asked you. Of course, uh, everybody does. <laughs> but you know, Ground zero. Exactly. But you know, at some point, it was like this light bulb moment uh, that or it sort of built up to a light bulb moment where I was like, okay, if I'm understanding this correctly, this could be sort of uh, a, a fundamental improvement in the way that people communicate value. Mm-hmm. And if that's true, I sure as hell better be involved. And so I kind of made up my mind to jump in. I didn't know what I w- was going to do, but I knew I had to be in crypto somehow. And what are the fund of funds? Because, you know, we invest in emerging crypto, you know, as an investor in multi-coin. We met through a cold call by you, I think. I mean, you warm called me because you knew me, but I didn't know FTX. So what was the fund? Stru- like, well, how did you do? How many funds were you picking? And was there a lot of funds to choose from in fourteen fifteen? So uh, we ended up starting the fund a little bit later, but um, you know it was it was a fascinating education. I mean, the, basically, the fund of funds was my education on crypto because I got to talk to all the top crypto funds, exactly. interview them, shortcut, yep, and try to basically poke holes in their businesses. And you know, how do they do custody? You know, what happens if two of the principals get hit by a bus? You know, what do they do with like legal and regulatory stuff? What about market microstructures and their trading? Uh, sort of dynamic um, in different sort of situations. Are they hedging? Um, you know, so all kinds of different things uh, that I got to sort of educate myself on by virtue of having this fund of funds. And there were probably, um, I don't know, call it maybe two to 300 funds uh, at sort of at the peak. Really? Of, yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, in, in you know, various 17, you mean the 17 peak? That's right. Yeah. Yep. And um, so, you know, just got to know them uh, and, and there's quite a bit of variation. Uh, so it was, it was really nice to see the, um, you know, the sort of menu or, or the landscape and uh, get, to, get to try to poke holes in it. So from then to today, you've seen trillions created. What, what's your personal take here? Obviously, you're 100% all in, but what's, your, what's the future look like to you, not FTX? What's the future look like to Cena and his kids and well, his baby just born, but the future look like? Well, you know, caveat this by saying, you know, your crystal ball is Yeah, just your as opinion, good, yeah. No, you know, uh, totally. if not if not better than mine of course. But uh, you know, look, as sort of trite or maybe cliched as it is, I really do think we're in the dial-up modem days here um, of crypto. And in the same way that when America Online was sending out those, you know, CD-ROMs and mm-hmm. people were jumping in chat rooms, probably couldn't predict where the internet is today. Um, at least with any accuracy, I think crypto is going to be similar. Um, and I think it's really going to a place where ultimately it becomes invisible in the same way that you and I don't care about TCP IP. We don't care about what's going on you know, with Cisco's sort of backbone of the internet type of stuff. We just know that when I type in google.com, it works, right? Um, hang on, I think- you're saying I should replace my AOL DVD now and get better internet? You know, Canute, it's impossible. What the fuck are we doing? Internet Explorer, that's the one. <laughs> There's something more than a DVD. It's unbelievable. All right, so exactly. We're at the dial-up stage, but we're in the dial-up stage. That means the apps that everybody's promising aren't there yet. So I agree with you. We're in the dial-up phase, and there's not enough proven yet to go beyond the chains that help everybody get onboarded. So we're kind of, it's like a mess out there still. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's still not user-friendly. Uh, it's still only Which is a feature, not a bug, I still think. But Fair. It's fair. 
but you know, we still have so much you know room to grow. And I think the last uh, estimate I heard is there's something around 200 to 220 million people that have crypto globally. Um, if you divide that just for a very rough calculation, if you divide that by the total population of I don't know 7.9 billion or whatever it is, um, that means 96% of people or 97% almost are are not yet in crypto. So Correct. we just just by that you know very rough estimate, we have so much room to grow. And I'm not in crypto. This is what I try and tell people. It's like, again, this is about dabbling. Like you obviously got the bug. I never had the bug. I had the schmuck insurance uh, fight or flee uh, thesis, which is like in case I'm wrong. I'm more invested because in case I'm wrong. So in case I was wrong, I invested in multi-coin uh, begrudgingly. And so now I'm like a uh, haphazard uh, Bitcoin thousandaire or crypto thousandaire but I'm still not like double opt in to, uh, it still freaks me out. So I, I defer all my crypto and pay fees for fake crypto at many levels. So, so it makes me feel comf- more comfortable than real crypto. I am starting to get to the phase uh, with Trudeau and with Russia and with Biden and with just our just terrible leadership that real crypto is starting to who cares what the prices are? It's starting to make a real sense to me. So I, mm-hmm. I still think we're so early just based on that. Like I'm supposedly an early adopter, but I'm paying huge fees to get fake crypto in my life. And that's both the concern and the opportunity, I guess. Well, you know, I was I was pitching crypto to this billionaire in 2017, uh, toward the tail end of 2017. And he didn't know anything about it. He'd started to read about it. He was reading this uh, uh, book called Digital Gold by Nathaniel Popper. Sure. Uh, to you know, to come up to speed on the on the space, but he was still skeptical, of course. And we, you know, he invited me up to SF. We sat down, him, myself, uh, uh, him, and his financial uh, advisor, uh, and we spoke. And at the end of it, he realized, okay, this is something interesting. He's like, okay, I don't know if bit. He used the word Bitcoin. If that's going to be you know, 1%, 5% or 10% of, of global, you know, money and, and sort of trade, but it's going to be something more than it is right now. Therefore, I should probably have some. So mm-hmm. that was his- Like a seat on the CME or the NYSE. That's the way I picture <laughs> it. It's your state, it's your table stakes. You have to have a seat. The seat just happens to be open to anybody and that's just, and it's fractionalized, which is what always excited me. It's, it's pretty, pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. I was watching the Carl Icahn uh, HBO thing and he's, you know, you can get past the fact that he looks like he's dead. Uh, he's still an <laughs> extremely start ma- smart man. The storytelling is fantastic. And the storytelling gets better because he's old. Like, you, you give him, you know, he's fudging, I'm sure. But the <laughs> stories are cuter now that he's old. And he's talking about his start. And he had to go buy a seat on the CBOE or the CME. I forget what it was. and that Or the NYSE, actually. And that was how you got in. Yep. Today, how you get in is by using the internet and today's internet is crypto and the and the way in is you don't have to spend a quarter million dollars to get in you can just set up a wallet a metamask and go open a coinbase ftx account and you're in there's different levels of how in you are but you're in and then there's discord and financial twitter and stock twits and everywhere else and uh, it's not like a club yeah, and, and you know, some would say you can be your own banker, even your own central banker. You know, uh, it, it, it's it's pretty remarkable what you can do with this whole new ecosystem that we're still, again, just figuring out uh, as a society. I think how this fits in, but uh, it, it's it's pretty remarkable when you start to think of the long term implications. Well, what's pretty remarkable is your career because crypto is 
is just so young and you have the ability to, to you you've taken you know Robin Hood and then FTX and just you've gone right to Larry David so I have to go right to this because this is this is how genius you know I knew you, you mentioned you were gonna do a Super Bowl commercial I just called you one day and said you're doing a Super Bowl commercial and you owned up to it and then you know and, and by the way just this proves how young you are. I was lo- I was calling you to get an offer to come to the game, and that never came. So either uh, I'm bad at like guilt, or you didn't pick up on the thousand of cues that I left you. But you did tell me, and I'll, I don't even want to know the answer. But you did say you were going to do a Super Bowl commercial. If you would give me a thousand guesses, and I thought I knew you, I wouldn't have guessed Larry David was going to be in the commercial. So I would have said a thousand times, Canute, you saw the commercial. Brilliant. You've made commercials. Oh, it's brilliant. Love it. Okay. Thank you. So, and Canute has done like award-winning commercials around the world. So, Canute, you have skills. Thank the, you. So, in a million years, I never would have guessed Larry David. Whose idea? How does this happen? Forgetting crypto, forgetting anything. Tell me how this all goes down. So, it started with a car wash in Half Moon Bay, if you can believe it. Of course. The, everything starts there. <laughs> You know, I'm just, I'm laughing. Uh, It cracks me up even to to talk about it, but it's true. I was driving up the coast. Uh, At the time, uh, my wife and I were living in Santa Cruz and we were driving, I was driving up to the FTX office in Berkeley Mm -hmm. and I was on the phone with our head of marketing, Nathaniel Whitmore. And we sort of- Was Nathaniel at Robinhood too? No. No, no, he wasn't. Um, But we were talking about this thing that sort of uh, uh, germinated from, from a conversation with Sam about, you know, should we or shouldn't we? And Nathaniel and I pretty much arrived at the conclusion that, you know, Sam has given us the green light if we want to do it. Um, so should we do this thing? And we pretty much agreed. Uh, and uh, we, we were almost, you know, f- sort of finalizing our thoughts there. And I told Nathaniel, hey, I got to hop. I'm going in this car wash. Uh but so we agreed in principle that we're going to do an ad. We didn't know with whom. We didn't know which agency. We didn't know the details yet. Mm-hmm. We just said, okay, we're going to do this fucking thing. Uh, and so let's do it. Um, and then, you know, I get out of the car wash. Uh, and then uh, we, we talk a little bit more. Um, and we sort of arrived at a plan. We sort of, you know, chose our – we had our short list of agencies that we wanted to work with, had them pitch us. Um we had one that- I don't even you know, know how to do that. So who did you call? Like, I guess you've learned this from doing deals and we'll get into some of the other deals. Like, what, who do, who's that first call to? Or Nathaniel just has a list of agencies? Well, here's the, the beauty- I don't even know of, how to do that. Well, you know, I, mean, I, I think you probably aren't giving yourself enough credit because it really comes down to partnerships. And, mm-hmm. um, and I know you've got a number of those. And, um, you know- Basically, over the over the course of the other partnerships that we we've been you know fortunate to mm-hmm. build up, uh, and uh, that I was fortunate to help you know make happen, mm-hmm. um, we we got to know some of you know our top sort of talent uh, who they like you know okay. like who does Tom Brady and Giselle like uh-huh. you know uh, um, and, and through them we had uh, a sort of an idea of of some of the top names and then you know Nathaniel had a few names to add to the list uh, and we added a couple more as well. And we basically went out and said, hey, guys, pitch us your best ideas. Uh, and, you know, and uh, yeah. I mean, so, I so, just, we're doing everything wrong. I wanted to be in that room. Oh, uh, you should have, you yeah. should have seen some of these ideas, guys. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And um, it was kind of surreal the whole time. We're like, okay, yeah, we're, we're, you know, fielding sort of pitches for Super Bowl ads. It didn't feel real yet until this one that came across and, you know, the, the, the concept was this guy who sort of travels through time and is like skeptical of things. 
Uh, and by the way, we think that if possible to get Larry David, he would be the perfect the person. The only person, because Albert Brooks, I don't know if you know you took this, or the people who wrote this took this from an Albert Brooks movie. I did not know that. Okay, so Albert Brooks uh, watched a movie tonight. It's called um, Defending Your Life with Meryl Streep. And okay. this fucking genius, Albert Brooks, he goes back and he's replaying. He's got to go, you know, he's he's dead in a car. He was an ad exec. And he's he's he gets in a car crash, I think. And he's defending his life before he goes to heaven or hell. And they're playing back bits and moans from his fucking godforsaken advertising life. And they go to a scene. with I'm like 11 years old watching this movie. And I knew I was going to be in finance. Because they're going to this scene. And Albert Brooks was so young with his crazy hair. And the whole fucking Meryl Streep's just carving him up. The judge is like, he's just getting carved up. He's going to hell. Hmm. And so they play the scene where he's at like Berkeley or something, actually. And he's getting pitched by his Japanese friend that his dad is starting a watch company called Casio. This is like hmm. 30 years old. And, and Albert Brooks looks at him and goes, the Swiss keep time. This is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Hmm. And then they flash back to Meryl Streep saying, if you had put in like the three thousand dollars into this casio investment you'd be like a trillionaire <laughs> and so the minute i see this commercial i'm like oh my god like this is played out as albert brooks who's one of the greatest comedians and writers of all time and larry david's playing that part so you did not know that that had existed in a movie i did not okay. uh, we just you know well, we there's just no knew that original ideas but that's what i i hard to and when you go back and watch that movie if you can dig it up somewhere you will piss your pants because albert brooks is great so you get pitched this idea it's not larry's idea it's a it's one of the ad agency's ideas well the, the outline of it the initial incarnation of it was this ad agency's idea uh and we loved it and we said okay can we actually get larry uh and so later on i'll, I'll tell you the story of how that we would got be a great larry. name of a podcast can we get larry just a bunch of us trying to get Larry. It's like, uh, what's that movie? Get Shorty? Yeah. Uh, so how do you get, get Larry. Larry? So tell me how you get Larry. Well, again, the compounding power of relationships and partnerships here, mm -hmm. um, you know, if not for some of our other partnerships, Correct. no way we would have had this, you know, opportunity with Larry. Uh, because he, you know, wasn't the biggest sort of believer in crypto necessarily. Um, and, and he wasn't sure sort of how to think of us. And so once we had, you know, in, in a call where uh, I essentially pitched Larry, which, by the way, was fucking surreal. God, how is that? Like, okay, but keep going, keep going. But I want to come back. Just, just picture me bewildered pitching like my comic on a Zoom. My, on a Zoom call, it's him and was his. Is he wearing his, a mask? No, he was, you know, just sitting next to his his, his director friend. Was he uh, dressed like he is on the show? Exactly the same. Okay, keep going. And and, and I'm pitching Larry David. Almost, you know, shitting my pants saying, this is one of the funniest people in history. And history. I love this guy and I'm pitching him. It's amazing. Uh, you know, and so, you know, that happens uh, and, and that went well. And it went well enough, I think, for Larry to want to confirm that these guys are the real deal, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, okay, that sounded good, but let me just make sure. Let me, you know, do a gut check here. Uh -huh. And so, he talked to one of our other partners uh, another one of our relationships that uh, that we've sort of built up over the you know uh, over the course of this, and uh, he got confirmation that yeah you know these guys are you know they're they're, they're good people and uh, they're mm -hmm. doing real business and um, you know uh, we had sort of a glowing endorsement and uh, next thing was Larry saying okay let's do this thing and um, and then from there Larry took over uh -huh. I mean, in terms of like for the creative side I can uh -huh. tell you about that but uh, but that's because he's the seen the movie he's well, seen defending your. <laughs> 
<laughs> so once you've seen I, defending your life, you can just do it a hundred different ways. Well, that's the thing. There was actually that's a very good guess. There was eighty-seven different script yeah, rewrites. You could just do this forever. Well, and, and then imagine Larry David riffing on this stuff, right? Yeah. And like you the know, coffee just one was probably my favorite. What was your favorite canoe? You've only uh, seen it once, Canute. Yeah, so I just saw it once. What was your favorite, Cena? Uh, I, I, I mean, the fact that Larry David is in the Super Bowl commercial for, you know, with us like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I now know. you're Zooming him. How fast is the Zoom? And did he insult you? Uh, he had his friend insult me on his behalf. Huh. Uh, uh, you know, he, he, he was very polite and very kind and, you know, he skeptical of, of crypto a little bit. You could tell. <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty skeptical. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a good guess, but you know, uh, the, the concept was so smooth that he just like, he's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Like, this is the types of things that I'm thinking about. Uh, and he, he actually came in with like sketches and like, you know, <sighs> things that he wanted to do. Like he was bought it was in. a layout. He was you, you yeah. wrote a layup idea. Well, it was that, but also like, you know, then there was this like, you know, thing where he's like, I still don't understand this blockchain thing. Uh, <laughs> and, and I, I, you know, I thought the call was going well. So I figured, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take a risk here. I'll be like, listen, do you want me to explain it to you right now? Uh, and he's like, sure, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> and and so, how'd you do? Well, I said, you know what? It's essentially a spreadsheet in the sky um, that keeps track of who has what. And when, and mm-hmm. that's and it. were you smoking at the time? I was, I was not. No. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> was but Larry it, smoking a pipe? Anything? I, I not that I. So was a spreadsheet in the sky. So I get it. Excel, an open Excel in the sky. Yep. Anyone can access it uh, and, and and read it and see what's on there and see who you know wh- who has what and when. Uh, and you know, Larry was sort of like, eh, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. And then you know, his uh, his friend next to him was like, okay, like, can you see on the Zoom that my eyes are like, you know, glazed over? Like, can you tell? <laughs> so it, you know, but it, it was a, it was a funny conversation. But you know, the the overarching thing was that like Larry was bought in, he was all in, and he was already sort of the creative juices were flowing, and so um, it was it was a, it was a pretty good call. Okay, so so have you minutes. met him? Uh, other than the the Zoom call, not yet. Okay. And of all the people, Giselle would be number one for me, then Larry too. Uh, and Giselle, do you show up to a call like that wearing a shirt or not wearing a shirt? Just because <laughs> what's the you vibe know, I, that you get? <laughs> I, I think- Because I, I would I, show up, you know, like the CNN guy. I would show up like the guy who got fired from CNN. I take my one shot. You take your shot. It's just Tom Brady's <laughs> wife. So, so, so Tom Brady, Giselle, Steph Curry, Larry David. Like, who's who was the most intimidating person to talk to for the first time? I mean, it, it's sort of weird to say this, but I mean, I've, I've had you know a lot of conversations with a lot of like very you know uh, prominent people. Uh, but Larry David was the the only one where I felt a little bit nervous. I was like, oh my right. god, this is Larry David. Like, you know, I'm I'm probably one of the biggest you know Curb Your Enthusiasm fans like ever. Uh, and so for me, it was just uh, it was extra intimidating to be talking to the creator and the I mean, just the star of that. Like he's he's just a fucking hilarious guy. I just I love this guy, and I'm like now I got to pitch him, and, and that was a little bit. Uh, intimidating, but everybody else, I mean, you know, Tom and Giselle are great, you know, Steph Curry, all of major league baseball, you know, Trevor Lawrence, uh, a number of other sort of business people. I mean, it's, it's just, um, everything else is easy compared to Larry, uh, for me at least. 
Right. So, so, so obviously Giselle and I would be friends. So, but next to, I would be most nervous talking to, and you promised to set that up, but I'd be most nervous talking to Larry. Would Larry and I hit it off? How fast would I offend him? Well, you know, fairly quickly, but I think that that's a good thing, actually. Uh, (laughs) Fairly quickly. Explain. Well, no, I'm I'm, I'm being somewhat. uh, I take it as a compliment, but I want to know how to offend him in case I have this moment. Well, it's just, you know, by nature of exploring and and being present enough to, like, make fun of everything that's around and, like, things that are happening, like, you're invariably going to say something that somebody would find offensive, but I think that's the kind of stuff that Larry (laughs) likes. Yes. I mean, isn't that what you like? Isn't that what people, isn't that how you build a brand? Exactly. Well, it's authentic and it's, it's, you know, it just, it's, it's fun and engaging and, and just enjoyable to listen to. So that's why I think that, yeah, you'd probably offend him a little bit, but he's also, you know, smart enough to, to enjoy that. So I think, uh, I think he'd probably hit it off quite frankly. So can I pitch you a couple ideas to work? I mean, budget aside, because it sounds like you have no budget is, is part of the magic of this because first of all, is, I'm going to have to, I, I think I'd prefer you as a co-host at this point. Canute, hopefully you get sick. And uh, <laughs> do you have any podcasting skills? Because <laughs> you seem to be more interesting than Canute. So, so hang on. Hey. So, so pardon the, you know, I want to talk about FTX and growth and crypto, but it's, this is just something that people should understand. How do you meet Sam? How do you pitch this? We'll go back here quickly. How... How does Sam work? Because I've, I've had him on the podcast, but obviously, you know, I don't know him. And how does someone have be this bold around budgets and esoterics? Hang on, and I'll, and I'll ask him again. And then seeing the final product at the Super Bowl, because I was shocked. Yeah, I was only watching the Super Bowl to see this. I'll tell you my thoughts here quickly. I was shocked. This is something about Robinhood that eToro, Coinbase, eTrade, FTX do commercials, Robinhood doesn't. And as someone who was at Robinhood early and then left, you obviously at some level, uh, metaphysically or karmic-wise, or you just have great instincts, left to hop on a, a bigger rocket ship and, and, and hitch your wagon to FTX or have them hitch their wagon to yours. Uh, kudos. <laughs> so in seeing the final product up against all the other crypto commercials, and Crypto.com was there with LeBron, how, because Coinbase was interesting. I have to say that I didn't know what it was until, you know, all the old people around me were like, what? Huh? And I was like, oh, I'm waiting for the, ta-. I didn't know who it would be. I thought it was Snapchat or something. And then it was Coinbase. And I thought that did its job appealing to its audience. And then along comes FTX with Larry. And I'm like, it definitely was appealed to me, but I, I know FTX and I know you and I've met Sam and I know the team and blah, blah, blah. So I know and I thought it was genius, but how does how did the company react in the context of all the crypto commercials? How do you feel it went? Well, you know, we we have our opinions. I have my opinion, but I think of course. What's, what's more interesting to me is actually what you know the, what other people think. And, yeah. and the way that I judge it is by like what are people telling me, and like what are people saying, and what sort of the you know the input is that we get. Like, what's the market telling us, right? Um, and, uh, people seem to love it. And, um, you know, it, it won an award for uh, most comical, uh, spot in the Super Bowl. By which far. Well, thank you. Thank you. We're, we're delighted to see that. And, uh, we're biased. Of course, we thought it was pretty hilarious, but uh, it's great to see that others felt it was, is, you know, funny too. And that's really what we were going for is, is try to entertain people and also, you know, hopefully leave them with a couple of things, leave them with one, 
you know, hey, come get to know us. We're, we're good people. This is kind of how, you know, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Uh, and, uh, you know, we just, we like to be authentic. But then, you know, also uh, uh, maybe sort of plant the seed of, hey, maybe crypto is something, you know, you want to look at for the longer term, just to be aware of it at a minimum. Uh, and so uh, it seemed to accomplish those, and, and you know, from the from the feedback that we're getting, um, it, it seems to have gone well. But if you ask me personally, I mean, I, I've just I'm fucking delighted. I, I, I thought I'm it was, so proud of you. You're not even related you. to me. And are you <laughs> background Sina Nader? What is that? Uh, well, Middle Eastern. It is. Uh, it's it's a Persian name, and I'm uh, uh, well as Persian as you can be. But Persian actually means you're mixed with a bunch of other things like uh -huh. Greek, Italian, and you know, Mongol and all kinds of other things. Uh, but I'm Persian. Uh, I was born and raised in the, in the U.S. And so there's no path from Berkeley to Morgan Stanley to Credit Suisse to Larry David. So you've <laughs> connected some dots that will never be connected again. Now that they're connected, and I've asked a lot of questions that I still have to come back to, um, Larry is the one that took risk because he doesn't do commercials, I don't think. Has he done a commercial? Never. As far okay. as I know, he's, he's done a COVID PSA, but that's it. Okay. So he took all the risks. That's what I thought the genius was there. Because mm. LeBron can put his name on anything, Tonal, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Curry can put his name on anything. He has a venture fund, Penny Jar. Um, these guys all take risk. Larry yep. doesn't seem like a risk taker, and therefore that was the genius of the thing. To see him dressed up as like a Roman or whatever he was, <laughs> spitting coffee, all for the sake of something he wasn't on board with, a spreadsheet in the sky, was the genius. Does that make sense to you, Knut? Absolutely. Okay. Completely. You should chime in here because you've done these things and I you're know, welcome I, to chime it's in. absolutely brilliant. Fucking brilliant. So now that Larry took the risk, is he willing to take more, do you think? Well, I certainly hope so. Uh, and we certainly hope so. And, um, you know, there, there's so much that we can do there. And I think, uh, I hope that Larry is uh, seeing that, you know, the positive reception here, people like this, people want more of it. Uh, and he, like you said, Howard, I mean, he's the perfect person. Yeah. It's easier than making a season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. We get to see Larry goofing on everything, uh, <laughs> being authentic and going for the laugh, but has to risk his brand. I mean, isn't that what it's about? Well, I think it's a calculated risk. I, I suspect that, you know, he's he's been hearing and seeing, you know, a lot about crypto these days and realizing, okay, maybe it's a thing now. Maybe it's, you know, these central banks are talking about doing their own crypto assets and like maybe it's maybe it's legit now. Uh, so I think that there's some calculated sort of risk there. But at the end of the day, he doesn't have to do this, right? Uh, and so I think it, I, I, I believe that he felt that it would be fun. At, at the end of the day, it's a fun thing for him to do. Uh, and, and that's really, you know, um, that's what he was going for. And, and, and hopefully I think that's what we achieved. All right. So two pitches. Can you just chime in which one you like best for the next commercial? And I don't need credit. I don't even need a dollar. I'd like to be on the Zoom call, maybe even on, on dark mode. <laughs> Is there a dark mode on the Zoom that I've, I've risked my whole life for? Uh, my family nest egg, Knut? The uh, two pitches. I think I pitched you one over Signal, but I've, I've fleshed it out a little more. And, and by the way, does anybody at my age is nonsensical in text as me? Do you have any conversation where you, I know you're laughing out loud once in a while. Is there anybody in the business that can make you laugh like me? No, see, this is why I want to get you and Larry David together because I think it'd be, I, I want to get you guys in a room and just like stand back and let you guys I'm willing talk. to just be on a Zoom full double va double mask, Knut. So just <laughs> I'm willing to be on a Zoom. He never has to see my face. <laughs> we can jarble my voice. I just want to pitch him. So here, so here's my fleshed out pitch. So, you know, because of stock twits and FTX, 
canoe. Yep. So it's me and Larry golfing. I'm explaining okay. crypto further to him. I don't have to, like just a regular guy that he golfs with, an annoying guy at Riviera, mm-hmm. where he can come out to Scottsdale National Silver Leaf. Larry, he'll 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 come play golf. And it's us on Twitter and stock twits trolling people. I'm teaching him how to troll people on, on crypto Twitter and, and crypto stock Twitter. So he gets to be Larry, but under a fake name all <laughs> explaining, just like every other idiot in the world, talking about crypto. And that's, I'm teaching him about crypto and all the pluses and minuses of that. Knut? Okay, next one. Okay, so you don't... It, no, I, 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 I want to compare them. The second one is, I'm not in it, but it's my idea, is all the comedians become crypto experts. So it's John Stewart, Dave Chappelle. They're sitting around as if they are, have a Discord room talking about crypto. And it's just hilarious. So it's John Stewart, Dave Chappelle, Dave Letterman. Uh, what's his name? The British comic who I love. Uh, Ricky Gervais. Any, Ricky Gervais. And... Don't make me go above you, Cena, for this. This is a budget thing, and I can make this happen. I'm four <laughs> tweets away. I'm, I can name. I can put this commercial together in five tweets. And, and Dave Letterman talking about crypto. Is I that think, possible? I think that the first idea trumps it big time. And I, really? I oh yeah. So which of those two makes sense, Cena? And which is doable? I I love them both. I mean, they're, and they're both quite doable, actually. Uh, I, I I gotta say, my my. Initial reaction was to disagree with Canute, but then the more I think about it, it's probably a cleaner commercial just to have two people. Uh, it's easier. Uh, you can let the sort of funny spots linger a little bit longer. If you have like seven people in a room, it's tough to give the spotlight to as many of them, you know? Yeah. Um, but either one would be fucking hilarious. Like, I mean, because yeah, you can go I, in any direction. Like, crypto is anything, it's a spreadsheet in the skies. So, why can't Larry be an expert? Exactly. How do you meet Sam? How does this go down? What, how, 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 you're at Robinhood. I don't know if you had left yet. How do you meet Sam? How do you first hear about FTX? So I actually had my eye on FTX before it became FTX. Um, so uh, when I was doing the fund of funds, um, I had heard about this group of people that was trading significant amounts of crypto out of Berkeley. And I was like, wait, what? Who is? Who are these people trading big crypto out of my backyard? And I've never heard of them. I got to meet these guys. Because, uh, you know, I went to Berkeley for college and it feels like, you know, my probably my, my hometown uh, between Berkeley and Santa Cruz. I mean, that's kind of my sort of North Star in terms of where home is. And if, if somebody's doing crypto there, I should probably know them is kind of how I feel about it. And uh, I, I went and I said, okay, I got to meet these guys. And I went and, and sat down with them. Uh, Sam wasn't in the office that day, but I was just blown away by how just sharp and dedicated and precise everything was in every interaction with these guys. And so I kind of had my eye and, and the company that I met with was called Alameda Research. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was sort of where FTX was born out of or kind of spun out of that. Because Alameda is an area at Berkeley? Uh, yeah, so Berkeley is in Alameda County. Got it. Um, and funny story there about why Sam decided to name it Alameda Research. They were trying to get bank accounts, and they realized that if there was anything about crypto in the name, there's no fucking way they'd get a bank account. So they came yeah. up with like the most boring possible name, which was Alameda Research. Like how, how, He's just smart. Incredibly smart. Or he gets and, good advice, and he listens. Or, or both. Yeah. yeah, you need both. Uh, Correct. 
so, so yeah, so, you know, Alameda Research, and I'm like, wow, these guys are super cool, and kind of had my eye on them. Uh, and then I kept my fund of funds thing, um, and then FTX was being born sort of in the background, uh, and then um, started to develop. And then when I was ready to leave Robinhood, uh, I reached out, and I said, hey, you know, uh, I'm looking to, to, you know, for my next move. And they said, hey, why don't you come and help us out? Um, maybe with the US stuff. And then, you know, I'll also help out on some international stuff. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. And was the first big deal naming of the Miami Stadium? Um, that was actually the second one. The first one was, well, there's two before that. There, there was this national ad campaign that was our first sort of big national deal uh, with Barstool Sports, actually. Oh. Uh-huh. Um, and then there was uh, Trevor Lawrence, um, number one draft pick in the NFL. Um, uh, and then came uh, the Miami Heat Arena after that. And so tell me, like, how do you pitch them? How do you, or how do you decide on a budget? And like, how, what are the boundaries? So the funny thing there is this all came from a single question that Sam posed on our internal communication tool. Uh, and he said, hey, do you think we could get like some athletes to tweet about us maybe once a month and just, you know, talk about their experience using FTX. And it started from that. Um, and it just evolved into, you know, what it is today, which is our you know, sort of portfolio of partnerships and um, deals that have helped to make FTX uh, a much more well-known brand. Um, but it started with that. And then, you know, myself uh, and a couple of colleagues started to work on these deals. And, um, we would basically bring ideas to Sam, and then Sam would help us come up with like a short list of the names that he'd be most excited about. And we would say, okay, well, here's our list, and uh, let's go see what we can do. Uh, and uh, would go and uh, get whichever of them that we could. And so today, I mean, in a world where you got to run the business and then kind of keep the momentum going, what's the focus? I mean, you're only 250 people. The valuations, I think, publicly disclosed on around in the 30 billion and the 8 billion, the U.S. and the international. Yep. So, so there's all this pressure. On, I mean, 250 people. This is stuff. You know, when Instagram sold for a billion, they were 19 people, or WhatsApp sold for 19 billion, they were a small amount of people. Now we've got a combined 40 billion dollar operation with under 300 people or under 400 people. Um, well, how do you decide as someone who like works from home and like it's a remote team, basically a global remote team, how do you decide who to place where and how to grow? So it's actually, it's interesting. We're, we're very much an in-office culture. So we do actually default to being in the office, um, whether that's in our Bahamas headquarters for FTX International uh, or our offices internationally in Hong Kong um, uh, or elsewhere. Uh, and then the U.S., we have our headquarters in Chicago. Uh, we've got Berkeley, which is soon to be SF, uh, and then Miami as well. So we, we kind of default to being in the office. But in terms of the way we make decisions, we're super decentralized and super flat. Um, so basically, if anyone has an idea that we or they or, or some combination of people believes has positive expected value, uh, unless there's some specific reason not to, then chances are we're going to go for it. Um, and so it's pretty much like, hey, you know, hey, Sam, like, here's an idea. You know, I think it, it's, it's good because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, and uh, uh, here's what it would take to do it. What do you think? And he'll give it a thumbs up and then we're off to the races. Um, that's pretty much how it works for, for a, lot of, uh, a lot of the things that we do. Now, it helps that the core business is profitable. So uh, much like Coinbase, right? Like it helps that 
He's not dipping into VC money to think outside the box. Don't you think that helps? Uh, well, it's yeah. always nice to, to have resources, yeah. <laughs> and, and so how do you decide now? What is like the day-to-day of your role? What is the role like defined on a business card? And how do you wake up every day and think about FTX? Wow, I love that question. So, I mean, on paper, my, my title is, is head of partnerships. Um, you know, in, in practice, we're a small company and we everyone wears so many different hats uh, and it's fucking fun as hell because, I mean, what we're doing is we're, we're all trying to grow the business. We're all trying to provide a great experience for our customers um, and, you know, just generate value for our stakeholders. And um, whatever sort of falls under any of those buckets, we're, we're going to go for it. Um, and so, you know, if I wake up and there, there's an opportunity to do something that's going to bring, I don't know, several hundred thousand daily active users uh, in the case of StockTwits, you know, potentially into the FTX orbit, then great. Um, or if it's, you know, I wake up and, oh, there's an opportunity to, to do something with um, with Snapchat, for example, and there are hundreds of millions of daily active users right. um, where we can put, you know, crypto pricing in, in Snapchat, then I'm going to chase that down. Um, and why know, aren't other not- people thinking of this? Because is it just me or other people? Like, so tell me, because I don't know who I, if I'm bugging you or... Why do people not do this? So, so my whole job was when I started StockTwits is to be BD. Like I didn't have a core profitable business like like Sam did. So mm-hmm. my job was to get our brand out there and and, and partner. So that's yep. all I think about is how do you leverage? That's why Twitter has always made sense to me, and I'm always fascinated with how bad they are at running their own company because they're a network, mm. uh, and they should be celebrating people that have climbed the network. So in a world where I'm bugging you, are other people bugging you, or or other people clueless? Like how do when I introduce you to Mike at Snapchat, how did you know? Like why do other people not get it? I've told you this before, Howard. It's because you're a fucking genius. No, come on. You know, honestly, like, I mean, you have a vision for stuff and you see, like, you see clearly and, and there's so much noise out there that to get the signal for, for a lot of people, uh, you know, including myself, sometimes there's just so much, you know, noise out there. It's tough to sort of separate, you know, things out. Um, but I, I think that you do have a, a, a unique ability to see through this stuff. And, you know, there are definitely other people. And by the way, <laughs> you're not at all bugging me. Uh, I mean, pretty much every time you come to me with something, you know, I, I'm like, yes. What I don't care what you're saying, Howard. The answer is yes. Uh, uh, but you know, yeah, it's- the FTX leggings. I haven't seen those. <laughs> we have socks. We got socks. Oh, socks is not. It's not. It's a, it's a step down. So, so <laughs> is it a tra- like to you? Because you're taking risks. The Snapchat thing is maybe not be risk, but like you're dealing with the right person. Obviously, I just can't. Like in my world, Snapchat should have a brokerage built on top of Alpaca. Like they're all at the the bitch of Apple. And they're all scared to get out of their lane. And it turns out that everybody says, well, crypto's just trading and finance, but that's the only way out of everybody's lane because you're actually doing a service. So I just don't get why the other networks aren't thinking like this. You know, it's, I, I think it's, the, the, there's so much stuff going on. Um, and, you know, the, the, I think there's a lot of groupthink happening, um, would be my guess. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's about how can we bring more value to more people? And if we have something that someone else doesn't, or they have something that we don't, um, or ideally both of those conditions are true, then you get together, you let East meet West, and you know, it's a beautiful thing. You called me 
I didn't know what FTX was. I don't, you you reached out to me. I guess you knew me through Robinhood. Yep. Okay. So you reach out to me as a biz dev guy, and nothing happens. Or I try to make something happen with you. It doesn't work. Then I tried the product. And I'm like, whoa, that's cool. <laughs> Uh, I can't use it in the U.S. basically, or it's cooler if I was lived internationally. So I start asking a few people, oh, yeah, everybody uses it overseas or internationally, blah, blah, blah. You hear it in the same terms as Binance. So I start hearing it. Then I start pitching you. And I don't know, like everything I pitch you, you liked. So that always, that's kind of like, uh, it made me nervous. I'm like, oh, God, finally someone agrees with me. That means we're both idiots. So... <laughs> And so we talk about StockTwits and hooking FTX to StockTwits, which originally I pitched to Robinhood, which they obviously did, but then undid with their API. So what are the lessons you can learn in, in, in doing this for FTX that other people have made along the way? You know, I, I think it's just you have to listen. Like you have to listen really, really closely uh, uh, to what you know the market is telling you. And you know, I think in the case of Stocktwits, for example, um, I believe that when stocks stop trading for the day, something like 10 out of 10 of the top things that people are talking about on Stocktwits is crypto. Correct. Right? So that to me says, okay, latent demand, lots of interest, and, and people want to do something here. Well, give the people what they want. You know, if, if they want crypto, give them crypto. And if we are in a position to be able to leverage our you know, resources to provide crypto to them, that seems like a pretty positive situation. Um, and so I think it's really about, you know, listening to the market and understanding what it is exactly that you have that you can offer. And in the case of FTX, we kind of like view ourselves as one big API. Uh, and so if we can leverage that API to like, or, or, you know, a set of pipes or a set of, you know, infrastructure that can provide stuff to people. Well, let's look for any and all situations where we can leverage that, you know, those pipes uh, uh, and, and provide access to people um, and, uh, and and create value. Uh, and that's pretty much, you know, uh, our, our sort of uh, North Star. A couple more questions. So with Sam, what is it about him at such a young age like, what is he doing that's different? Like, it's like Zuckerberg meets Evan. It's like, like he's a little bit of everybody. But what is the secret that you think? My goodness, that that's a that's a great and also difficult question. Yeah. I mean, because he's okay, so young. So he he's he's young, but he's also wise, and he has great people around him. Uh, I mean, he, you know, he grew up with parents that are both law professors at Stanford, so he has this deep understanding of the importance of the law and compliance. Uh, and I think that's what a lot of people don't see from the outside. Um, people see, oh, FTX, fastest growing exchange in the world, all this innovation, all this really exciting stuff, which is true. But what they don't see is that underneath that, there is a bedrock appreciation for the importance of compliance. Hmm. Uh, and that sort of informs everything that we do. Um, so that, that that's kind of one. Um, the other thing is, is you know, Having a goal that's bigger than yourself, and I know that's maybe a little bit cliche, but in the case of Sam, I've never seen anybody for whom this is more true and authentic to who they are. Um, Sam literally wants to make as much money as he can to give it all away uh, and not give it away kind of willy-nilly, but to give it away to the most effective charities that are out there. Um, and that's because in college, before he got into trading, before he got into crypto, uh, when he was in college, he fell in love with this concept called effective altruism, which basically means 
how to, you know, how can I leave the, the biggest positive impact on the world? Uh, and essentially that comes down to making money and giving it away to, to good charities, to effective charities. Hmm. Um, that's what drove him to go to Wall Street uh, and, and because that's where he thought he could make the most money. Uh, uh, and he did that. And then he realized, well, there's an opportunity perhaps to make even more money in crypto. So he went there again with the goal of being able to make a positive impact on the world. Now, a lot of people say that. Uh, that they want to make the world a better place. Sam literally lives it. I mean, he wears shorts and t-shirts, barely wears shoes, um, lives with roommates, does not have a big house, uh, does not have a fancy car, does not have yachts or planes or anything like that. Um, He is honestly the most down-to-earth person that I have ever met, that, that I can think of that I've ever met. Um, and that's remarkable for someone who's in their twenties, you know, self-made multi-billionaire. You know, usually that conjures up a lot of images. Oh, you know, self-made billionaire in their twenties doing tech things. Oh, they must We've be heard that a, story, right? Exactly. But Sam is so completely different than that. Um, and the, the 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 awesome thing is when you sit down with him, when you when you when you talk with him, when you see the way that he actually spends his time, you see that this guy, like, this is real. Like, this is what he's actually trying to do. Um, he's trying to make the world a better place, and he does it in ways that he doesn't really even talk about. Like he's not trying to draw attention to it. Um, and so, I think when you have that set of things in the background, that you're you're not just trying to make money for yourself, you're actually thinking on the scale of how much does it take to save one life, you know, from malaria in in like sub-Saharan Africa, and now how do I scale that up to millions of people? And then how much does it take to you know improve you know I don't know the carbon footprint in like you know the Brazilian um, you know rainforest? Okay, and then how do I scale that up? Like when you think of in, in in those terms, um, it, it drives you to want to do more and more because there's so many things in the world that actually do need to be improved, and it takes billions and probably trillions of dollars to do that. Uh, and 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 that I think drives Sam in a way that I haven't seen with anybody else before. And what scares you about the U.S. government? And obviously, we can't get into detail, but like, are you nervous about policy? Like, is it like, is that the wild card for U.S. because it's happening everywhere else? So, like, what, like, what do you wake up and worry about? Is that over your pay grade and you don't care? You know, I'm I'm honestly hopeful because um, at the end of the day, I think government wants to facilitate commerce. Uh, and and government ultimately wants business, um, and if that's true, then you know I don't think it benefits anybody to stifle innovation for the long term. So long term, I think we get to to a more efficient state, and I do think that that involves regulation. And and I think actually that as a company, we like regulation. We want to have all the licenses that we can possibly have. So basically, our view is: tell us what licenses we can have, and and we'll apply and we'll get them. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll apply for any single license that we can because we want to be regulated. Um, so it doesn't make me nervous. Uh, it, you know, if, if anything, I'm hopeful that we, we get to a state where, you know, relatively soon where, uh, the regulators realize that, Hey, this is, you know, this can be a force for good in the same way that the internet is, is, can be a force for good and is a force for good. Um, so let's, you know, let's regulate it. Let's come up with, you know, the right sort of tax, uh, uh regime around this, um, and, and let's let the market do its thing. And I, I suspect that's ultimately what's going to happen. All right. That was awesome. We'll end it there. I, uh, taken enough of your time, get back to work, pitch Larry, uh, <laughs> cool job. Thank you. You want your kid to have this type of job and excel at it because it's kind of like a tough job. Cause it's an open, you know, if any kid that would take this job has to like, what do you do first? 
It's mm. not fires. You're creating fires. Uh, you're not putting them out. You're, you know, the, anyways, amazing. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm proud to uh, be involved. You guys are investors in StockTwits, full disclosure. But that came from our discussions, uh, much like a lot of the, the partnerships. I think it's like you pick up the phone and you network and, and you share ideas. And that's the beautiful thing about all these, whether it's podcast or Twitter or stock twits, it's like all these things are possible. And the speed of which things are getting done is insane. So kudos to you, my man. I will see you on the internet. Sina, thanks for doing this. It's really fun to watch this stuff happen. So I appreciate uh, being included in all this stuff in some small way. You know what? You are the man, Howard. Appreciate you, and uh, thanks for having me on. All right, buddy. Knut, hey. are we out of tape? Is the cloud full? Yeah, we're running out of tape. What'd you think? I th- fantastic. I told you you'd be blown away. I am blown away, and I like him a lot. He's right? a very, I don't know. I don't, like I, your kid. Yeah, we, you want your kid to be like He's going to be on again. We won't have him on yeah. again. I wanted to have someone behind the scenes, but, you know, we we try and talk to the people in front of the scenes because that's where the sex appeal is but really behind the scenes at rocket ships is cool and i prefer to talk to the people behind the scenes because they're getting the shit done you know uh at the top someone just has to say yes but then you got to work the the system and you got to get the people you got to get buy-in and I, I appreciate how he not only can do both sides of it he can get buy-in from the higher ups and then go execute and for young people listening you got to do both if you want to be successful. You know, you can get away with just one. But if you can do both like Cena does uh, and find out how they do things, you can follow them on Twitter. We'll share some links. But FTX, really incredible story. It's been a lot of fun to watch. Risk-taking, swashbuckling, global, uh, moving around, etc. So you are listening to Panic with Friends, Knut and Howie, college buddies, reunited after 30 years in the desert. Talking to our friends, traders, investors, venture capitalists, founders, uh, movers and shakers that try and keep us one or two steps ahead, not months and months, just days and hours. Uh, You can go to Spotify, Google, Apple, search my name, Howard Lindzen, or Panic with Friends. You will hit subscribe and you will get one of these a week and uh, tell your friends. But subscribing really helps and then you won't have to be bothered. You'll get an alert once a week. Thanks, Canute, and we'll see everybody next week. Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.